I'm Alexia Gordon, author of the award-winning Gethsemane Brown Mysteries, published by Henry Press, and the host of the Cozy Corner Podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every other week, I chat with an author who writes novels on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in the Cozy Corner. Welcome. Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries and host of the Cozy Corner podcast. My guest today is Annette Deshoffy, author of the Zoe Chambers Mysteries. She joins me today to chat about her latest Under the Radar. Welcome, Annette. Hi, Alexia. Thanks for having me. So, to start, um, Under the Radar is the ninth book in the Zoe Chambers series. So, tell us about Zoe and what she's up to in Under the Radar. Well, it uh, kind of picks up after uh, Cry Wolf, which was the seventh book in the series, uh, at which point at the end of that she had learned that she uh, has a sibling that uh, she was unaware of. And it, I gave a little bit of time between Cry Wolf and Under the Radar because I decided that if I jumped right into that storyline in uh, the, the book that was in between that I might be I'd give away some spoilers uh, so I figured I'd just you know figure out how to do that how to get into that storyline again without spoiling the, the story from Cry Wolf uh, and hopefully I did that but uh, that's that's kind of the uh, subplot but it's a major one uh, the story itself involves uh, a high school friend of Zoe's who has gunned down someone who was bullying him and admits to it readily. Uh, but then someone else who bullied him turns up dead, and the question becomes, did he do it? Did he, uh, maybe it wasn't self-defense in the first place. You know, a lot of questions come up about that first homicide as well as the following one. Under the Radar is set in western Pennsylvania, which is very different from the Philadelphia, eastern Pennsylvania state that most of us think of when we hear Pennsylvania. So right. what's your connection to the western Pennsylvania region? I've lived here all my life. Uh, I, I'm currently living on what was part of my grandfather's 150-acre dairy farm. And the house that I live in now is like 50 yards away from, you know, house that I grew up in. So I, I have very deep roots here. It's an area that I know well. I know the people. And so it's not hard at all to do the research <laughs> because I just step out my front door and it's all right there. And if there's one thing you'd want the rest of us to know anytime we act like we think Pennsylvania ends in the Philadelphia suburbs, what would that be? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, t it's totally different. Philadelphia is more uh, city, definitely. And even though I'm only 30 miles from Pittsburgh, which people think of as a city, it's much smaller city-wise than Philadelphia is. And we are really, there's a lot of history here. If you want to go back uh, even to French and Indian War period history, this was the frontier back then. So it's, it's, 
there's a lot of rural, uh, different mindset uh, out here, I think, than in Philadelphia. And then we don't even want to go into the, the sports teams because, you know, <laughs> that whole, you know, cross-state sports rivalry stuff goes on. <laughs> so so you, I can't ask you if, I, if you're a Steelers or Eagles fan? Oh, definitely Steelers. <laughs> Bleed uh, black and gold. <laughs> Now, you create a very vivid atmosphere of an industrial small town, which is somewhat different than the more sort of Norman Rockwell small towns and a lot of cozy mysteries. So how did you decide to give your series a more gritty setting? Well, that's the setting that it is. Like I said, I just have to walk out my front door. I, I live on, a, on farm country, but surrounded by all these little mining towns. Western Pennsylvania was very much a, a coal mining area. And although the coal mines have all closed down and you know, pretty much petered out, the, the towns remain more or less. And yeah, there's still that, uh, I don't know if I would call it industrial, I guess, although I guess that's right. Um, but it's, you know, you've got the, the company store buildings that are in some cases are still there and the houses that are, uh, all the, the coal companies built them, so they're all cookie-cutter houses, but now people have modernized them or given them their own flavor so that you can see the bones of the houses uh, through these little towns are the same, but they've all been updated uh, and made unique, which is kind of interesting. In, in what way? It just, I, it's something, it's it's a, type of uh, town living that I've not seen anywhere else that I've traveled. Uh, of course, I'm not that widely traveled either, but <laughs> it was everybody puts their little stamp on these houses. But it's it, there's also a lot of uh, poverty uh, in the area because of the, the coal mines closed down years ago, and then more recently is this in the 70s and 80s, the steel mills that were around Pittsburgh closed down. So you have uh, a weird juxtaposition, yeah, juxtaposition of the the wealthy from the steel, like the the Carnegies uh, and, and such, and and then the poor uh, people who live in these little towns in these old houses. So there's there's you can go either way. It's interesting when for telling a story because I can draw from either side. Uh, and kind of tell whatever story I want to, but I do like to I, I do like to keep uh, my stories rooted deeply in the country, in in the the farm part of the area, because that's where I grew up. And you made your main character a paramedic, uh, which is an unusual profession in a subgenre that's filled with you know shop owners and, and crafters. And <laughs> so his profession is central to the story's action. So what led to you creating a paramedic as a main character? Well, I was. I was an EMT. I worked uh, in uh, our small town ambulance service uh, right out of high school for a, a number of years. So I know that world. And it, again, it made that part of the research really easy. I just have to learn what what medical updates have happened since since I left that world. Um, but also, yeah, I, I did notice that 
paramedics weren't widely used as characters. So I thought, oh, this, this might be something to, to do, to go with. And honestly, when I started writing uh, the series, I didn't intend it to be cozy. It just kind of, I guess, went that way. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it would, it, it is, it, my series is gritty, I think, for a cozy. Uh, Hank Philippi Ryan called it not quite cozy, which I kind of like that description. Uh, you know, anything Hank says is good by me. <laughs> there <you> go. uh, <laughs> but but still, there aren't even to this day. I don't see a lot of paramedics in lead roles uh, in in these stories. So I, it wasn't intentional, but it was a happy accident. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Now, as a former paramedic, you obviously know a lot about the, the technical aspects of the job. So how do you balance putting in enough technical details to make the scenes realistic enough that, you know, fellow paramedics and doctors and nurses don't call you complaining that you got such and such wrong <laughs> with not putting in so much detail that you either bore or gross out the readers that don't have a medical background? Yeah, that's always that's always a tricky balance to strike. Uh, thankfully, I have some uh, really good critique buddies who will point out to me if, if I'm getting boring or if I have a, a scene that has a lot of technical stuff in it, I'll ask them specifically, you know, are your eyes rolling back in your head? Is this too much? Um, but generally, I tend to put in only one, possibly two, really technical, medically technical scenes in a book, enough to show that, yeah, I do you know, know what I'm talking about, uh, and then the rest of the story kind of just rides on more of the emotion. Because I, I think it's more the emotion of the job than the actual physical, uh, you know, what sort of IV are we starting, or how much oxygen are we giving the patient. I, I don't want to... I don't, I'm not writing a manual. Uh, I'm, I'm writing a story that I want the, the reader to get drawn into and care about the characters. So it, it's the emotion of being on the ambulance, the adrenaline, the, you know, when you're, I always think it's fascinating when Zoe goes to a call and has to work on someone that maybe she doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, that could uh, lead to all sorts of interesting story possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and on the other side of it too, and it's something that I, I dealt with a number of times. When you are working on an ambulance in a small community, it happens all the time that you respond to a call, and the patient or victim is someone that you know, uh, or maybe you're close to, and that's a, a gut punch right there. So that's that's something I, I tend to put in the stories too. And you also put in your story that Zoe's a deputy coroner. Yes. Uh, in one of the early scenes in Under the Radar, uh, there's a man who's campaigning for the office of county coroner. And this man brings up that he is an actual physician or forensic pathologist, uh, and he can do his own autopsies uh, versus having to contract them out. And he kind of uh, turns up his nose at funeral directors being coroners. So obviously... Right. <laughs> know the difference between coroners and medical examiners, which a lot of people may not know. So can you talk a little about that? Uh, yeah, um, a, a medical examiner is, uh, first of all, the position uh, is um, uh, an, an appointed position, uh, where a coroner is an elected 
position. And if you have uh, someone from a medical examiner's office versus someone who's with the coroner's office, they will debate that their side is the right one every time. <laughs> so I'm you know, not even getting into that because uh, in Pittsburgh or Allegheny County, uh, it has transferred over to the medical examiner uh, way of operation. Uh, and all the surrounding counties, I live in Washington County, which is my, in the story, I, I changed the name of it to Monongahela County. Uh, so for a variety of reasons, but Monongahela County in my stories is a fictionalized version of Washington County. And in Washington County, we still have the coroner's uh, way of doing things. So I've talked to our coroner who, you know, is very adamant. And, and the thing that he uh, points out is that he is responsible to the people because he is an elected official, uh, whereas someone in the medical examiner's office uh, is appointed and doesn't have to be reelected. It's it's a it's a job for them, but they do have to be a forensic pathologist. Where a coroner, yes, can be <laughs> run a funeral home or anything. They don't really have have the. They don't have to be a doctor. A lot of them, most well, they do have to take training, uh, and some of them are doctors, uh, forensic pathologists, but they don't have to be. So there's. That's kind of just a, a real rough explanation of, of the differences, and I'm not going to say which one's better than the other, because I have people on both sides who help me with my technical questions. <laughs> now, you mentioned that you've fictionalized your county and mm -hmm. uh, called it uh, Monongahela County. Mm -hmm. uh, is your town also fictionalized? Uh, in, in the story, yeah, Pittsburgh, of course, is not. I mentioned Pittsburgh. That's real. Uh, but uh, Vance Township is a fictionalized version of, I actually live in Smith Township. But I draw from places that are in Hanover Township or Mount Pleasant Township or Cross Creek Township, all these little areas around me. And if I move things around and actually called it in the book Smith Township, then all of my local readers would jump all over me because I made it wrong. I did it wrong. But since I fictionalize it and call it Vance Township, they're cool with that. And, and they actually make a game of trying to guess which place is what, you know, matching up the fictional place with the real place. And more often than not, when they tell me, I know where that is, that's, you know, such and such, often they're wrong. But I just nod and say, okay, because I want them to, you know, live in the story as they see fit. I don't, I don't want to confuse them. <laughs> do, your, do your readers from outside Pennsylvania ever complain that Monongahela is really hard to pronounce? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, there's, there's a song, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys actually mentioned Monongahela River in one of their songs. So I just point them to that. Uh, and it's not the hardest area around uh, to, act, to pronounce. We have uh, uh, a river that flows into the Monongahela River, which there really is a Monongahela River, and there really is a town called Monongahela. So it is, it's a local word. It's based from Native Americans. Uh, but the Yakagani River runs into the Monongahela River. And the Yokogany is spelled Y-O-U-G-H-I-O-G-H-E-N-Y, I think. 
<laughs> so Monongahela is a piece of cake of what, from what I could have picked. <laughs> and isn't the Monongahela one of the three rivers that gave the old Three Rivers Stadium its name? Yes, the Monongahela and the Allegheny Rivers flow into the Ohio River, and that, that is the point at Pittsburgh. And that's our sports. That's our second sports reference. That's the last one I'll make. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, right. You know, right now we're not discussing football because our team didn't do so well this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm a Washington D.C. team. Well, actually, the Nats did well, but we won't talk about the Redskins. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, as we mentioned earlier on a safer topic, uh, this is the <laughs> series. So how do you keep the stories fresh over such a long series and avoid repeating plots? Oh, yeah, that, that's a challenge. And I, I don't know that I have succeeded 100%. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to completely call myself out in case somebody didn't notice. But there, there was one storyline in an earlier book that I... I wasn't satisfied in how it ended up, so I, I kind of revised it in a later book so that I could revisit it and, and have it end more the way I wanted it to, but I'm not going to say anything more than that because maybe nobody else noticed. Um, but my stories, I mean, all I have to do is, is pick up the local newspaper, and there's always something that is slightly unique to a country setting versus... A, a town or a city and I won't steal the story so much as it gives me an idea and I'll say well, well what if this happened instead uh, because real reality is either a too weird to actually write because no one will believe it or ends up really boring <laughs> and is a letdown. So as a fiction writer, all we have to do is say, well, what if this happened instead? And, you know, we've, we've got a story. 300 and some pages later, we've got a book. True. And, and it is true that reality is getting so strange that no fiction oh can possibly keep up with it. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> I read a story long uh, long ago but it never got published but somebody said that would never happen and i said but it did it really did and that's kind of when i learned that that just because it really happened doesn't mean that you should make a story out of it <laughs> so what's what's next story-wise for zoe uh i'm currently finishing up the 10th in the series it's uh i don't know if this will be the title that it ends up being but i'm calling it till death uh, and I don't have a release date. I do have a deadline, which is the 1st of February, which is coming up really fast, and I'm about a week behind where I should be. But hopefully... <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. Uh, so I, I do have that one in the pipeline, getting ready to turn it in. And where can readers buy a copy of Under the Radar? Uh, it's available for pre-order now. Uh, you can order it... Uh, in any format on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, uh, the audiobook will be coming out, uh, and you can also pre-order a signed copy at our local uh, independent uh, bookseller, which is Mystery Lovers Bookshop. You can go online uh, and order it online, and they will have signed copies. Always, always like to give a plug for my local indie store because they've been so good to me. Excellent. <laughs> 
And where can readers find out more about you or maybe come to a book signing or see you at a conference? Uh, I'm going to be at Malice Domestic. Uh, this year, I'm not going to be at BoucherCon, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to Writers Police Academy to do some research instead, and I can't afford both. Um, my book launch, again, will be at Mystery Lovers Bookshop, uh, and that'll be on, uh, I believe it's the 22nd of February, if you're in the Pittsburgh area. Um, also, uh, I'm doing a uh, Facebook party, launch party with Julie Mulhern. The two of us are doing one, and that will be on February 25th. So if you're on Facebook, uh, check that out. Okay, and they can find out uh, more about that on your face, your author Facebook page? On my author, my Facebook author page, or my website, www.annette-afee.com. Okay. And can they find you on any other social media, like Twitter or Instagram? I'm on Twitter a little bit. Uh, I am starting to become more active on Instagram just because I'm, I'm just now starting to learn how to use it. But I am on Instagram, and it's all variations of my name. So if you just you know, do a search for Annette Dashafi, you're going to find me. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining me in the Cozy Corner, Annette. Thank you for having me. And this has been your host, Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon for my chat with my guest, Annette Dashafi, author of the Zoe Chambers Mysteries. Tune in every other Wednesday on your favorite podcatcher for a new episode. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Cozy Corner Podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries and the host of the podcast. Tune in next time as I chat with another author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.